on Karina and Kirsten Get to Work, we're talking about bringing your A game, your special self, your peak performance to work, you know. Welcome to Karina and Kirsten Get to Work. I'm Kirsten Barron. And I'm Karina Hoyer. And we are so glad to have you today because we're getting some ease, meaning, and joy at work today for women. That's all we're about. That's what we want. It's that simple. It's that simple. It's ease, that. meaning, and joy. And one, one, two, three. And one of the ways you do that is bring your A game. Your best self, your something special. Especially when you have something big going on. Mm-hmm. Especially when there's something you're staring down that's making you a little nervous. A big thing. Yeah, something big. Just like. Just like us. Just like us. Because as if podcasting wasn't hard enough, we decided it was time to bring a special guest onto our show. Not today. Calm down. But in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And do we ever have to bring our A-game? For this special guest. For this special guest. So the last episode we recorded, we talked to you. We foreshadowed. We let you know we were working on a A special guest. A special guest. And by the way. Aside, a number of people have said to me, you guys should get a guest. You guys should get a guest. And I was like, are you bored with us? Yeah, what's that about? No, impossible. No, we're so (laughs) dang entertaining. I can't imagine that would be the case. But we heard you loud and clear. Yeah, nonetheless. Game on. So do you want to tell her who it is? You need to tell Karina. No, you do it. Okay, so here's the deal. You wanted a special guest. We have the specialists of guests. We have Cheryl Strayed. I love how you whisper NPR My voice. My NPR voice. Cheryl Motherfrickin' Strayed. You know, author of Wild Torch, Tiny Little Things, Brave Enough. And of course, she's a podcaster also. Yeah. She's a colleague at Pacific Northwestern or two, for those of you up here in Washington and Oregon. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because when we just kind of threw caution to the wind and invited her to join us, there's no way in hell I thought she'd oh, even no. answer uh-uh. the email, let no. alone agree. Added bonus, she listened to our show and uh, she liked it in her email to us, said she liked it. That's the reason she agreed to talk to us. I thought I was cool before and this. And now we're super cool. So, But now uh, we got to bring our A-game friend. Yeah, we got to bring our A-game to this interview, which will air in two weeks from this current episode. You know what? I have to say just a tiny plug for Cheryl. You know, as somebody who grew up on the Pacific Northwest in the woods, made my first career moves into environmental education and thought that I would be somebody who was, you know, like a backcountry ranger or tromping around in the woods for my career. Reading that story. Wild. Wild. Reading Mm -hmm. Wild, her first bestseller, was really instrumental in kind of just, I guess, helping. Framing. Framing or being Mm -hmm. seen. She's our age. She did something amazing. You know, I could really relate to that story. So I am so excited. And it's interesting, too, because I can relate to her differently. Yeah, how? As an author, you know, I have this thing where I'm like, I don't know how anybody figures out how to live life without reading lots of books. And I feel like she's that way, too. You know, she's a writer, but she's a philosopher in so many ways. And we're going to talk to her about mentorship, which I just think she, I mean, she's just amazing. Yeah, and I'm really excited to dig into that subject for exactly what you just said, because through her writing and also through her podcasts, both Dear Sugars and her most recent endeavor, Sugar Calling, She really does kind of tap into that energy about being a mentor, and she's leaning on mentors as well. So, so excited. So in order to prepare for that, though, we're going to talk about bringing your A-game. Yeah, that's right, because we need to do research. Peak performance. To make sure that we are ready. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, what do you think think of, Kirsten, when you hear that term, peak performance or A-game? 
I really think of it as something that has been talked about since the late 90s, early 2000s, which is this concept of flow. Uh You get into this place where you are able to perform, to deliver, to create in a way that is free. It's almost freeing. You're bringing your very best performance, your very best work, and you're doing it without the distraction of things that would detract from that. Yeah. In some cases, even rational thought, like you're just like, I think athletes describe the flow. I know my kid is a mountain biker and he'll frequently talk about just sort of being in In the flow. Yeah. Where he feels like he's connected to his bike. He's just making snap decisions and they all hopefully are right, knock on wood. And yeah, I think we see that at work a lot during a presentation, mm-hmm. during an interview, mm-hmm. during a speech or not. I mean, sometimes you don't Sometimes feel you that. don't feel it. You don't see it. Yeah. yeah. It's really interesting though, um, when you're talking about exactly what you said. You, now you referenced the late 90s. Why, do you, why did you use that date? Well, I think in the late 90s, that's when this concept of flow really arose out of some the beginning brain science. Like they had this anecdotal information from folks who were performing at very high levels that they talked about the flow, about things just working. And then as they have over the years, as our ability to actually see what's happening in the brain has increased, there's evidence that being in the flow is observable in your brain. Yeah, isn't that? I mean, you know, crazy. I know. I, I I wish I could go back to school and become a neuroscientist. Scientist? Yeah, no kidding. Or, or study this stuff because it's so interesting. Super to me. fascinating. Okay, I read a report, and I think that this is kind of referencing that same thing you said. Where American University in Beirut, there was a neuroscientist named Arnie Dietrich, and he really helped kind of discover this phenomenon of flow using brain imaging. And what they found was really curious because. Instead of relying on the part of your brain that is rational thought, that sort of marches you down the if this, then this, then this, this is how I do, they found that flow feels flowy because your brain structure actually turns off that rapid fire decision making in favor of just go, in favor of just the short term ability to just do. Almost subconscious in a way. I think it is subconscious. Yeah, there's. I don't think people are conscious. He says there's a quote, we are trading energy usually used for higher cognitive functions for heightened attention and awareness. So you go from thinking to just attention and awareness. It's almost like mindfulness now that I'm thinking about it. It's interesting, but in a way, not mindfulness because you're just doing it because it just feels right. Yeah. You know it's right. I feel that way often in when in conversations with a client, when they present me with a really complicated problem, there are times when I'm just like, oh, I know the answer. And I can feel that in my brain. It's it's not rote. I don't mean it's rote like I've memorized it, yeah. but it feels that way. It's like, oh, well, this is it. And there's this, there's all of these things that, but I feel like then I'm bringing my best self. So let's talk about times when you do want to be at your peak performance, things that are really important at work. You know, one of them for me, is kind of on our list and that's doing public speaking. Oh yeah. Like I almost have an out of body experience when I'm behind a microphone. Me too. And Except for here. <laughs> I'm super in my body with you, friend. Yeah, because it's um, it's rapid because I'm just making you think all the time. I'm so no. No, but I know what you mean. Yeah. And now that I'm you're describing kind of what happens during peak performance or when you bring your A game or flow or whatever, it's almost like an out of body experience. And then when the speech is over 
And the thousands of people approached me to talk to me because it was such an amazing that thing. That would be I after the standing after ovation. After the standing ovation. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, like you're done with your speech and then and then afterwards people come to talk to you and I and I always feel like I have some kind of weird hangover or something, like an out-of-body experience. Like, I don't even know how to have this conversation with you right now because I was in a completely different energy space. Yeah, exactly. And I have got to get out of that, slam the brakes on, move over here, pivot quickly. No, I get that. Mm -hmm. And I think there's lots of times that we really want to show up with our best self that we don't think about. Like when you have to have a really hard conversation with somebody. Mm -hmm. When you, I mean, I love this one too. Um, I read saying no. Sometimes when you say no, which is kind of like a hard conversation, you need to bring your very, very best self. Of course, for a lawyer, I feel like there's all of these, like, I don't know when there's not a time to bring your best self. I don't know if any of my clients would be happy if they were like, well, I'm just going to get 80% of Kirsten today. <laughs> but I think it's different. I mean, I think every day we want to bring our best self. We absolutely mm-hmm. do. But I think it's beyond that. It's like, when do you need to turn it up to 11? That's a good point. I mean, I do feel like though, Karina, for most of my clients, I think their problem is so important to them. Or their issue is so difficult that I feel a lot of the day that I do have to show up with an 11. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting. I just thought about that. Yeah, that is interesting. So I'm all ready for Cheryl. I'm not going to have to prepare. I do it all day long. Yeah, hell yeah. Just (laughs) lean back. It'll be fine. No, I feel the same way with my clients. I am 100% A game. Every time I'm talking to them, they're paying for my time. We, we need to, you know, it's efficient. I can't just stare mm-hmm. at them blankly and go, uh, uh, can I get back to you on this later? Or yeah, I, I got an idea. I'm not sure how great it is, but I got an idea. Yeah, let's just spitball this. And, uh, uh, you know, the meter is ticking. No, but I think there are other things that people who aren't consultants or lawyers have to do. Like you said, having a tough conversation, saying no, asking for a raise, mm-hmm. doing a presentation. In some cases, if especially... You know, if public speaking or speaking out is hard for you, maybe it's even just like making a comment in that meeting. Right. Or asking for a change in your job or advocating for yourself or, you know, turning in that application. You know, it's so interesting. But when we were talking about all of the times that you want to bring your A game, I said to you and I followed up, I have a very good friend. Her name is Anne-Marie Fayola. She is the CEO and founder of Brambleberry. And she really is, when I think of people I know, like the epitome of bringing your A game. And I said, hey, we're going to be talking about this peak performance. And I just sat down in her backyard with her and her daughter, Lily. and Ten feet apart. Oh, yes. Ten feet apart in the beautiful sunshine. Nice. So thank, thanks for that. Thanks, COVID. Thanks, COVID. Damn COVID. Anyway, she is just an incredibly successful woman. She's written a book, Best Day Ever, which is a wonderful book that I really encourage folks to read. But the things that we talked about in our conversation that were so interesting to me were a couple. And the first thing is, is that she said, I'm all about preparation and evaluation. So she over-prepares, over-prepares, uh-huh. over-prepares, and then she evaluates what she's done. What what would she be preparing for? So Give me an example for example, of example she does these videos. She as a her company sells soap supplies. And part of how she has built her company is she actually makes soap and she produces these videos to help people make this beautiful. I mean, they're beautiful, right? And so she's- Yeah, you want to eat them. You want to eat them. They're delicious. Yeah, they look like brownies or whatever. So she's the soap queen. 
And so she produces these videos where she's the soap queen. And she said that she, the first seven years she did this, she forced herself to watch the videos to get better. Mm-hmm. And it was so hard for her. She said, you know, I cried a lot of the time when I said something or did something or whatever. But she says she learned from it. Uh-huh. So she she really overprepares for what she's doing. She evaluates what she's doing. I loved this thing she said about reframing your negative emotions. She says that when she's nervous, she's like, those are butterflies. That means I really care. And I've heard that a lot. Yeah. And I think it's really effective. And the last thing that she said in our conversation that really hit home with me is that she said, people don't try because they are afraid. They're afraid of being nerdy. They're afraid of calling themselves out, Mm -hmm. of being excluded, or maybe even of trying and failing. Yeah. Because it's way harder to fail if you've tried really hard. Yeah. And she, you know, her comment was, if you don't try, you never know what you're capable of, right? You've just really got to try. And so that is one of the things I wanted listeners to come away with today, which is you've really got to try. Well, you do have to try. And especially if what she just said about preparing and the and then evaluating, like you have to prepare and then try and then check it out mm-hmm. and then prepare for the next thing and then try and then and check, check it, it out. out. And yeah, practice makes perfect, obviously. And the first step in that is the doing. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is it's that, that, you're, that you need to be doing, you got to do it. Mm-hmm. You got to do it and do it and perhaps even redo it. You're not going to get to that place where you have that kind of intuitive performance without the practice and the evaluation. And it was great to hear because she's on Hallmark TV. You know, she has, she interviewed Gloria Steinem. She's no slouch. No, she's no slouch. (laughs) She facilitates conversations at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. I mean, She's a fancy pants. Yeah, and she's got to bring her A-game. And she's got to bring her A-game. So I loved hearing that there's those fundamental things that even people who have this really high level of achievement are doing. Yeah, I love that. And can you tell me just briefly about her book, too? Because you mentioned it. and we didn't... Oh, yeah. The Best Day Ever. It's a really wonderful book. It's got like, it's just really about how to have your best day ever. And I think if we went through the topics in her book, we probably have covered in some way, shape, and form most of them. In our other research. In our show as they relate to work. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just so many things. Like, I mean, she has these kind of fundamental concepts about you're responsible for your own success, take charge of your life, manage your resources, and you're in control. And it talks about, like, who your friends are and how they make you feel. And it's wonderful. So I really encourage folks to read it. And if even for people who've done a lot of self kind of work, I think it's a great refresher when you're wanting to get back to your A game. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have it all in one spot yep. too in mm-hmm. a in a, mm-hmm. an attractive and easy to read format. With a beautiful cover. What do you think of that? It's a beautiful um, cover. I love it. Okay, and it's interesting because you're right. Here's somebody, I love what you said about Anne-Marie in that, you know, she's somebody who, in all intents and purposes, is incredibly successful. She has to put herself into situations that are uncomfortable, that she has to prepare for, that are different, that are ever-changing. You know, she's pressing forward towards a goal, and yet, she's reviewing her work and figuring out how to do it better the next time. She's not always assuming that she's got her, mm-hmm. you know, pooping in group, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> 
Sorry, that just rolled off my tongue. It's okay. And I think the other thing that you said there, though, and I, I believe we, Anne-Marie references it in her book, is that the first part of bringing your A game is believing that you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, you really mm-hmm. have to own it, yes. sister. Yep. Just the, that confidence, that, that expect that you will expect that you will succeed or you deserve to succeed. But at the same time, be kind to yourself in the sense that you would not go run a marathon if you had not done the training runs. If your longest run is three miles, I'm going to say don't do 26.2. So part of this is preparing physically, mentally, emotionally to run your best race. And guess what I'm also hearing you say is part of this is setting realistic, you know, challenging goals, but realistic mm-hmm. goals. And, you know, maybe when I just said, believe that you will succeed, it's up to you to define what success looks like. Maybe yes. succeed means trying it the first time. Mm-hmm. Maybe succeed means, you know, putting it on the calendar or asking for that meeting or volunteering for that presentation. That could also just be what success looks like or is defined by you're speaking of flow. I just kind of, I feel like I just blacked out there. That's okay. Since you just blacked out, let's go to mental. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am mental. No, we want to talk about how you support your kind of mental abilities in order to get to peak performance. And the next part of this conversation, even if Karina has blacked out, is about performance. I'll just join you later. Let me just gather my thoughts now. It is it. It's about how to prepare for your performance. Yeah. How to prepare for your performance. Yeah. Okay, so I have to interview Cheryl Strayed. Mm-hmm. Did I mention? You do. You have to interview Cheryl Strayed. <laughs> so how are, are your palms sweating? Mine how are, are even just thinking sweaty about palms. It. I know. How do we do that and not sound like fans? We're just I gonna- think we just have to be authentically who we are, and we just have to be moony. <laughs> if I'm authentically Mooney, but around uh, someone like Cheryl, I think I might be. Be a little Mooney. Okay. okay, We have to visualize our performance. We have to visualize what's going to happen, how we're going to do this, what do we want to achieve? We have to visualize it going well. You do. And in fact, you know, when I was doing some research for this episode, I came across the like five Ps and it was really kind of funny. Interesting. Yeah. It was like, prepare to prevent poor performance. Oh, okay. That was four P's. And the person who said this uh, was a Ted talk. She actually says, you know what? I hate those four P's because you don't prepare to prevent poor performance. How's that for alliteration? I know how you love it. She said, prepare for picturing your success. Don't prepare to avoid pitfalls. Prepare to do the great job. Set your mind toward the positive Mm -hmm. because what you focus on is what you get. And I thought that was kind of cool. It's very cool. So like what you said, visualize, Mm -hmm. focus on the goal. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's actually been shown to improve your chances of achieving. It's interesting too, on this mental piece, I think about Rafa Nadal, the tennis player. And It really irritates the stink out of me, but every time before he serves, he bounces the ball, he licks his fingers, he goes behind one ear and then the other, and then he, with his hand, and then he's at the same hand, he touches one shoulder and then the other, and then he serves. He does this every time. And when I was looking around for data around peak performance, one of the things that I found is that these kinds of rituals can quiet your mind and your body. So they did a study 
of tennis players. Interesting. Interesting, Rafa. And looking at the strings on the racket keeps their attention. And they actually put heart monitors on them. And when they were engaging in their ritual, whatever it happened to be, and you can watch tennis and see them do this over and over and over again, their heart rates actually plummeted. So they actually conserved energy and got ready for the next point. So one of the things I think that's really important is many of us need those rituals that ground us. That's awesome. I love what you just said, because it's a callback to an episode we just did on rituals and the importance of having rituals in your life. It's a special sauce. It does impact your emotional and your mental Mm -hmm. well-being and your Mm -hmm. ability to perform. And and actually impacts your physical being, Mm -hmm. your heart rate, your blood pressure, all of that stuff. Uh, One of the... um, research that I read said to find your pre-game ritual. And I think this is important. So, you know, the tennis player that you referenced was sort of in the middle of their game. They were in the middle of this time when they needed to be performing. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe if you're doing a speech or making a presentation or or talking to another person, having a ritual that sort of grounds you in your body and your mind is a good idea too, just like the tennis player. I have a pre-speaking ritual. Okay. So yeah, I was going to say, but even before the thing happens. That's what I mean. Before I go into the event, I have this pre-speaking ritual that I I go through that involves bathroom and hair and purse and blah, 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 blah. It's the same thing every time I speak somewhere. I love it. Yeah. Like I'm the same way, not with the purse and the hair, but you know, like in the potty, I do have to go to the bathroom before yes, I speak. For sure. My God, it's the worst. No, it's like lipstick, check the hair, redo that. But also like nobody around me that's, yes. uh, you know, I control my environment. I like to speak from a computer rather than paper. So I like to have my monitor, you know, like I have all of that stuff just checked. I almost feel like I'm you know, like I have OCD and I'm checking all four walls before I get started. I think started. it's helpful to it's, ground you. It's very helpful to ground. And then, of course, there's the emotional aspect of performance. Which is different than mental? Of course, because as you say to me, feeling versus thinking. Okay. I'm working on this. <laughs> 19 years of therapy later. <laughs> okay. Anyway, it's like what Anne-Marie said. Reframe your negative emotions because negative emotions do not help you perform. You have to either reframe your negative emotions or somehow create positive emotions because that's where you get energy. That's what drives high performance. If you are frustrated, angry, irritated, resentful, any of those things, they will detract from your performance. Yeah. In fact, I saw somebody wrote, don't fight your nerves, detach from them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and what's also great, a good strategy. Yeah. What great performers have is not the ability to eliminate nerves, but it's to succeed in spite of them. Mm-hmm. So kind of those negative feelings or emotions, you just got to figure out how to compartmentalize those. Sometimes I visualize their balloons and they have strings on them and I just cut the strings. Like in my head, if I feel bad about something, I'm like, and I realize it's not a valuable emotion. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to cut those strings. Just cut those strings. And I'll do that like three or four times in my head. I think it works a little bit. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I just hope they're biodegradable balloons. For sure. They're just, what is that word? They're metaphorical. Metaphorical. They're metaphorical. I know. I totally hear you. Okay. And here's the other, the final emotional one, because I found this really interesting. Fake it. Just fake it. 
I know that you're looking at me uh, blankly. I'm looking at you blankly. Fake it. But I think I know what you mean. But so the emotion, like fake the emotions. So if you're, if you're so nervous, if you're seeing, if you're feeling negative, if you're feeling something that's probably not going to be productive to your performance, fake the emotion that you think you should have. And it has the same, it has the same impact on your brain as the actual emotion. It's like when you smile, it makes you happier. Yeah. When there was, yeah. And there was a study of actors who were told to act angry. And they measured all their physiological responses to acting angry. And then they put them in situations where they were genuinely angry and all of their biometrics were exactly the same. So just, I'm just going to say the mental, fake it till you make it, fake it till you make Despite it. Despite all of our pleas to be authentic, fake it till you make it. Just hold attention. I was just going to say, can't we just have both at the same time? I we just might have to, we might have to, you get to have your cake and eat it too. So let's talk about the physical piece of peak performance. I'm going to let you start with this one, Karina, because you have a very good suggestion. <laughs> well, honest to God, this it's not sh- as good as panty liners in your jacket yeah, to which prevent if- <laughs> sweat stains. If you haven't heard that one, I am not joking. Just put panty liners, just stick them to the inside of your suit, jacket, armpits, and you are going to thank go. me lady. later. No, so here's yeah, number two. Yeah, The other one is get a good bra. Ladies, I, I cannot... I cannot stress this enough. There is nothing better for your mental and physical and emotional well-being than, than a good bra. A good bra. Just, you, you, I know, you're... I know, I'm, I'm with you. No, I'm with you. I'm just with you on that. I just feel like sometimes, you know, it's a big ask, Karina. Are you, a big ask? A big ask. <laughs> Not a big ass. A big I ask. You were talking, it is a big ask. I, yeah. Okay. Or whatever your equivalent of that is. Your big, yeah, your good bra. If it's, you know, your good bra, your favorite pair of shoes, your, you know, the shirt that you just feel really good in. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that's uniquely female and I don't mean to, well, the bra is, well, maybe not. I don't want that to, I don't want to be gender biased when it comes to like only focusing on looks, but man, that is something Anne-Marie really talked about. She was like, you need to be aware of how you feel, how comfortable you are and being comfortable, but also being aware of how you're presenting yourself. Yeah. You know, is what you're wearing or how you're acting, distracting from what you're saying. So I do think it's all rolled up. And Krina, everyone needs a good bra. Oh my God, shave. I actually discovered my waist when I finally got a good bra. I was Lovely. like, oh, there it is. There we go. So of course, and from our last, ep- one of our last episodes, Power Pose, always a really good thing to do, physicality. Yeah. So again, that's before the big thing. Just go listen to that podcast because it'll tell you all about it. No, just before the big thing that you have to do, standing in such a way that lowers your cortisol and increases your testosterone. And that is hands on hips or hands above the head or et cetera. And then, of course, this is where you really have to be deliberate about all the things, right? You have to be deliberate about making sure you've had enough water, which is one of the things I do before I speak is I make sure I've had water and that I have given my body what it needs to show up, which is sleep and food. Although I have to say one of the interesting things Anne-Marie said is she really does, she's very careful about food before a big something. She won't eat things that might make her sick or, or feel bad. And she's like, usually it's a protein bar in a package. Hmm. And I thought that's really, that was a really good trick. Yeah. And I think it, again, it harkens back to something we say a lot, which is know yourself and mm-hmm. honor your preferences. When you are going into a situation that we described, you get to choose you get to choose what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, how you're going to feel, what you're, how you're going to mm-hmm. treat yourself, and it's so much agency. Yes, and it should be 
absolutely 100% what you feel like you need and want. And you do not need people who are energy sucks. No. You do not need emotional vampires. You do not need people raining on your parade, sucking your emotions, you know, trying to bring you down. So avoid those people. Yeah. So back to my speech analogy, I remember... I used to have to do several big speeches a year in my former position. And for the longest time, I would go to the event during the day and help with setup. And so I was part of the whole... You're exhausted. I was part of the whole scurry of yes. the day and problem solving and problem solving because that's what we do, right? We all roll up our sleeves and we chip in. And what I finally realized was that created a dynamic in my brain. Like my job was to do the best speech ever and to not do the setup, like not be around all the people in the energy night. I'm not, they weren't necessarily energy vampires or any energy no, suckers, but, but it was the focus on the wrong thing. The wrong energy. Yeah, mm-hmm. the wrong kind of energy. Yeah. Somebody else said never drink alcohol beforehand or like you said, be careful of what you eat. And what was this about the half of a Xanax or oh, something? Oh, yeah. I was telling you about that. Anne-Marie said a lot of people who make big presentations, speak, whatever, take half a Xanax. I just can't. I mean, I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. Probably. No, I couldn't do that. I would no. yeah. I'd have to put my banking a pillow for a nap. <laughs> We'd find you in the bathroom. She was doing I, her pregame ritual. I don't know what happened to her. She nodded off. I don't know what happened to her. So here's the thing. So we've talked about... When you want to bring your best self, why do you want to do that? How do you do that? And here's the thing that I came away with, and it was really something Anne-Marie said that has resonated with me in such a way, and it probably says more about me than anything else, but I'm going to say it anyway, which is do not be afraid to try. Yeah. Do not be afraid to see what glory you can create, what amazing thing you can do, experience, give commit to. I mean, so that's kind of my... Yes, that you get to define what you want yes. and recognize that it's going to take work and energy and that you're likely going to have to bring your A game. But there are ways that you can do that, that nurture yourself, mm-hmm. that create the conditions that allow you to succeed and also give you the kind of feedback that you need to improve until, you know, to continue to do better. So you get what we're trying to get here, which is ease, meaning, and joy. Exactly. Do you want me to tell you the one special tell, thing I'm going to do before tell we Tell me the one special Cheryl? thing you're going to do. I'm going to make sure that every single thing has been set up and checked. Oh, good. And you're rechecked. so good at that. It's like practice. So I don't, I'm yeah. not going to practice what we're going to say because we're just having a conversation. But every the, our microphones, our equipment, my phone, you know, like the... Wi-Fi, the Zoom all call of it. I just am going to eliminate all of that extra noise. That's that makes, how I'm in yeah. Bring, yeah. And prepare. for me, I know what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? I am going to listen to every podcast, watch every interview. I'll probably reread a couple of her books or at least certainly re-skim them because that's my gig is to over-prepare. That's right. So prepare, prepare, practice, have okay. fun. I'm ready, man. I am ready I'm going to power pose it up. I'm bringing my peak performance to that interview. Okay, folks, thanks so much for listening. Oh, my God. And a shout out to Kansas. Oh, Kansas. What is going on Dorothy? in Kansas? Is it Dorothy in Kansas? Dorothy in Kansas. Yes. I believe their uh, state flower is the sunflower. I, I, aunt Barb, thank you so much. I don't know if this is my aunt or what, but Kansas is rocking it. With listeners. With listeners. Yep. So Kansas is going to have a lot of peak performance this next couple weeks. <laughs> They're going to be seeing some big stuff. <laughs> out of their women workers. That's right. Okay, rock on, sisters. Take care. Thanks for listening. 
Krina and Kirsten Get to Work is recorded and produced by yours truly, Krina Hoyer and Kirsten Barron. Find all of our episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on our website, or email us at yougettowork at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 